Well, hello, Inland Hills Church, and I uh, hope you have a wonderful 4th of July weekend and holiday. We are not having an on-campus experience this weekend. We decided uh, instead of doing on-campus, we're going to give our volunteers and our staff a little bit of a break this weekend, and so we're, we are online only. And today is the very first day in a series that we're going to be doing over the next several weeks called Voices, Practical Ideas for Leading a Jesus-Centered Life. And uh, this week is going to be a little bit shorter because it's an online-only experience, so if you want to hang with me for the next few minutes, uh, we're going to jump through just kind of one big idea and trace it out. The Bible starts off with the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, with this story that begins in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And in the very beginning, God creates these two people, and he gives them the reign of the entire garden, and he tells them that there's this one tree that produces fruit, that gives you knowledge of good and evil, and you shouldn't eat that fruit. Everything else that's here, he says, you can have. It's all yours. Just stay away from this one tree. And then very early on in this story, a serpent appears, who we later find out is actually the devil disguised as a serpent. And this serpent tells Eve, did God tell you that you're not allowed to eat of the fruit of any of these trees? And Eve corrects him. She says, no, no, no. We can eat anything we want to, except we're just not supposed to eat of this one tree because that is the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent retorts, ah, see, God does not want you to be like him, knowing good from evil. And so he has forbidden you from eating this fruit, because if you did, then you would be just as wise, as knowledgeable as God. In fact, right before the very first sin, the fall of human beings away from God, it all begins with a lie, a deception that God is not really as good as you think he is. God has a secret, devious plan. What's interesting is that after Eve eats of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, the world completely changes for human beings. And once we know something of good and evil, once we understand that difference, we can then use our knowledge in order to do the thing that only God is supposed to do. Only God is supposed to be able to judge, to judge the world. And yet, if you've been a Christian probably for any time at all, and I realize every week there are folks who are lifelong Christians or they've been Christians for decades. There are people who are just exploring faith, just checking it out. But, but if you've been a Christian for a few years, you have probably run into other Christians or perhaps you yourself have slipped back into this old ancient pattern of failure that human beings have been doing really since the very first book of Scripture. Judgment. Maybe you are not a Christian, or maybe you've been a Christian for like decades and decades, but if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you've probably noticed a pattern that sometimes when you get with other Christians, and there's a, there's a lot that you share, right? You have a shared ethic, you have a, a shared kind of construct for how you see the world. There's a whole lot that being a follower of Jesus means that you share with other followers of Jesus, which means Christianity, if we're not really careful, can become very tribal. We see the world one way, and these other people see it a different, worse way, right? And so it's easy to be like judging others, like, oh, I can't believe they do that. Why would they think that? They don't have any sense. They're just immoral. Just, like, that's, the kind of, uh, that's the kind of tantrum that we can start to go on if we forget that the only reason we are who we are now is by the grace of God. And that God's grace needs to continue to work in us to get us beyond even where we are now. Here's, here's kind of the thing that may help us remember. Sometimes we're so thankful for who we are that we forget who we were, right? For those of us especially, if you came to faith later in life, you look back to who you were at one point, 
And Jesus has probably made all kinds of differences in your life. My guess is that you're more patient. You're more empathetic. You're probably kinder. Your life probably has more love to it. There may be habits or anger or whatever that you, you were able to lay down, and that doesn't get the best of you in the same way that it used to. Yes, you still have progress to make, but you're probably very thankful for the person you've become if you've been following Jesus for a few years. Our problem lies in the fact that sometimes we're so thankful for that, for who we are, that we forget who we were. And then when we meet somebody who's who we were, we start to judge them. We write them off, discount them. We start to see them as other or our enemy instead of seeing them as our potential brother or sister in Jesus if we could give them a pathway or a bridgeway to him. There's this amazing passage in the book of Luke in chapter 7. It's one of my favorite stories of Jesus. And I'm going to share it with you right now, and then we're going to wrap up. And that's really all we wanted to look at today. Here's the story. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So Pharisees, if you're not aware, were some of the religious leaders of the day. And while in the 21st century, they're they're, they're known mostly in Christian circles as being radically hypocritical, in the first century, uh, in their day, they were seen as like the best of the best. These were the, these were the, the Billy Grahams, the religious leaders of, of their day. They, they, were, they were considered top notch. These are people who are worth following. They are people who had the respect of the people. They were revered by others as being an example, a shining example of what a good Jew should be. And so when Jesus sits with these Pharisees at this table, he is not sitting, like in the minds of the people who would be gathered there, he's not sitting with a bunch of people who are outside of the will of God. He's sitting with the godliest men that they would have known in the first century. So a Pharisee invites Jesus to have dinner with him, and he goes to that Pharisee's house, this religious leader, and he reclines at his table. Now, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, a sinful life means that she was likely a prostitute, a woman of the night. And she stood behind him, stood behind Jesus, at his feet weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, as you can imagine, if you were the Pharisee, you would be shocked by this. You invite Jesus over to your home because you are trying to be a good follower of God. And this man seems to have something about him, some kind of knowledge of God or way of God that is foreign to you. You're wondering, is this man the real deal? You've heard that he's done miracles. You've heard that he's had these crazy teachings. Like, you're going to invite him over. You'd like to get a front row seat to whatever is going on with this Jesus fellow. And so you're wondering if maybe he is a Messiah or maybe he is a promised one or maybe he's just going to be like the greatest rabbi of our day. You want to check that out. But, but then this woman comes in, a prostitute. Do you know she's a prostitute? Everybody at the table knows that she's a prostitute. It is obvious that she's a prostitute. And as you see her, she, she approaches Jesus and she starts to not only get close to him, but she starts to like get uncomfortably physically close. She's weeping on his feet. She's, she's wetting his feet with those tears. She, she wipes them with her hair. She kisses them and pours expensive perfume on them. Like this is getting real weird and real uncomfortable. Now in the first century, people didn't have privacy in the way that we think of it today, right? We've got like doors that close and lock and windows that shut down. Like the first century, doorways were open. People could just kind of come and go. So all these religious people gathered around this table checking out Jesus. This woman just seems to walk in out of nowhere. She's not invited. And then the way that she treats him is just like it takes him aback. He can't believe it. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, 
he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner, right? He, he's, he's taken the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and he's using it to do exactly what humans have done with it ever since they've been into it, which is to say, like, you know what? I judge you. I stand over you in the place of God, and I judge you. You are a sinner. You are far from God. And if Jesus knew, if he was really a prophet, he would know that you're a sinner. He would want nothing to do with you. And so he's judging her, but he's also judging Jesus. Now, he thinks all of this to himself. He says it to himself, and I love this next line, because Jesus answered him, (laughs) Simon, I have something to tell you. So Jesus knows what he's thinking. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Jesus loves answering unspoken questions or spoken ones with a story instead of an actual answer. So he just tells the story. He goes on. Now, which one of these two will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, You see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. In the first century, one of the things that was uh, just to be a hospitable host was absolutely expected is that you would provide water, a basin, for people to clean their feet when they came in. I heard from somebody one time that, uh, this, was, this was a New Testament scholar, he essentially said that if we could get into a time machine and travel back to the first century, walk the streets of Jerusalem, actually hang out with Jesus and with other people of that day and age, the thing that would strike us most probably as 21st century people would be the smell. Like it would smell horribly. Like to us, right? To, to, to compare it to our norm, it would smell horribly. People weren't using great soaps every single day, shampooing their hair, uh, didn't, didn't ride around on you know, dirty streets in cars that kept them clean like that. Everyone was sweating and stinking, and their feet were filthy, and their faces were, there was just dust everywhere, and there was no way to get it nearly as clean as what we would be used to. No deodorant, right? No, nothing to put on to like mask all this stuff. Like that's what would probably stick out for us. And so you would provide your guests with water to wash their dirty, disgusting, nasty feet before they reclined at the table and ate dinner. But this guy didn't do that. So Jesus says, you see this woman? Because he's assuming, right? Jesus just talked about someone having a great debt. He's assuming, okay, he's talking about this woman who has a great debt. But then he's saying, like, actually, look what this woman did. This woman did better than you. You didn't give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her, with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, he said. It was customary to greet one another with a holy kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. She has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. In other words, this woman's been forgiven a lot, and so she loves a lot. You haven't received, Simon, that kind of forgiveness. It hasn't actually taken hold of your heart. It hasn't actually rooted itself down in you because you love little. Essentially what Jesus is teaching is that the true faith is what happens when someone looks at Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness. That's true faith. And then once you discover that forgiveness, 
it becomes a, a way of being and living and interacting with the world that you can pass on to others. Once you realize that you indeed needed that forgiveness, that you indeed have been forgiven greatly, you can start to have compassion for those who haven't experienced God's forgiveness yet. You see, what often happens when Christians hang out together and they don't have outside friends for a long time is they get very, very judgmental. But that's not the way of Jesus. We are to judge those within the church. If you're my brother or sister, like we should hold one another accountable. That's our job. But what Jesus shows Simon and what Paul taught in the New Testament is simply that while we judge those inside of the church, we help hold one another accountable. That's what we do for each other because we care about each other. We are not to judge those outside of the church. They have different values than us. They see the world differently than us. And that all makes sense. We shouldn't judge them because they're not striving to live the kind of way that we're striving to live. In fact, for those outside of the church, the, the only opinion we're to have of those outside of the church is that they are infinitely loved by God. That's it. That's the only opinion we're to have of them. But Josh, like, you didn't see like, how, how messed up that thing is that they did. Yeah, yeah, but, but they're infinitely loved by God. Yeah, but they don't, they don't vote the right way. They don't do this the right way. They, they don't interact the right way. They don't, they don't care about the right things. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but they're infinitely loved by God. And see, our challenge is that sometimes we're so thankful for who we are that we forget who we were. So I just want to challenge you as we conclude this first week of our, our Voices series that remembering who we are and remembering who we were is incredibly helpful as we try to live in love like Jesus. Because remembering who we were helps us become who we can be. As long as we get so infatuated with who we are and we start using that infatuation to judge the people around us, well, at least I don't act like that. At least I don't behave like that. At least that's not where I'm going for. Like, as long as we kind of like hang all of our worth on that, that judgment actually prevents us from becoming the better version of ourselves that Jesus is calling into, us into. So remembering who we were helps us become who we can be. So this week, you know, you know, your, your holiday. <laughs> you have, maybe you have tomorrow off. Maybe you got some time with the family. Maybe you have a little bit of time in the morning as you're showering or getting ready or as you're going to bed at night. Here's, here's something practically that you can do. If you're a follower of Jesus, think back to how you were before you started to follow Jesus. Think about the things you value, the way that you lived, some of the old habits maybe that you've been able to kick or put by the wayside. Think about the way that you thought about yourself, maybe some of your own selfishness or anything else that comes to mind. It's like something that you've seen God transform in you over the years. Thank him. Thank him for taking the person you were, forgiving you greatly, and turning you into the person you are. But recognize that there is still a person you can be that's ahead of you. God is always calling us into more faithfulness, always calling us in to live more closely to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our judgment of others that can be one of the things that prevent us from doing so. The only opinion we're to have of outsiders, those who exist outside of the church, those who haven't yet found the grace and mercy that comes from following Jesus, is that they're of infinite value. And you, you're of infinite value as well. May you continue to be transformed into the person you can be. God, thank you for this time together today. I pray for my brothers and sisters, wherever they are, as they, as they listen to this, as they watch this, that you would help us to remember who we were, that we may be increasingly transformed into the person we can be. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Inland Hills Church Weekly Messages podcast. 
To learn more about Inland Hills, including information about our other ministries and ways to get involved, visit inlandhills.com. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and leave a review so others can find our messages of hope and encouragement. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week.